0: So I got to say, last week, um, for those of you who were here, you may have noticed that somehow I inadvertently knocked two pages of my sermon off uh, the lectern here about midway through. I had no idea I did that. So I'm looking all around for uh, these two pages. I knew the sermon well enough that I knew I was missing something. So kind of stumbling along, and then I had a bunch of people tell me after the service, you know, Steve, that was amazing you knocked those two pages off, and I said, why didn't you, why'd you leave me hanging? Why didn't, why didn't somebody up here go and get the, uh, the pages and bring them back up to me or something? So anyway, next time I do that, please feel free to say, time out, uh, Steve. You got to go get some pages. So I want to say this before I preach today. We're, today we're going to look at the Father. Um, <clears throat> and I want to say that, that, of course, this is a very male-dominated parable. I mean, it's two sons, a father. Um, and so uh, I think sometimes we we have we, we need to realize that God could, or Jesus could have used a mother. And I think for those of you who are trying to get in touch with God's love, that maybe imagining a mother in this parable would be more, uh, you could more easily understand the love. Some of us have not had good fathers, and it's, it's hard to imagine a good father. But of course, God transcends human sexuality. You know, just in the parable prior to this, Jesus referred to God as what? A woman who loses a coin. Uh, but this parable would make no sense if it was a mother and daughters uh, in the patriarchal society in which Jesus lived. Uh, number one, a woman would not own land like this. Number two, the daughters would not inherit any money. It was always the sons. So it, it's just it was a different culture. So sometimes we just have to um, realize that and and do what we can. But boy, if it if it helps you to be imagine, because I think our imagination can really help us get in touch with the love of God. Imagine a mother that you're going home to a mother. So today we pick up um, (coughs) really kind of the heart of this parable, I think. (coughs) I'm going to pick up at at verse 17. Um, Just prior to verse 17, of course, the younger son goes to the father, asks for his inheritance, goes off to the far country, (coughs) squanders it, and then uh, realizes that uh, he had made a big mistake. So now we pick up at verse 17 when he comes to his senses. So listen to the word of God. When he came to his senses, he said, How many of my father's hired men have food to spare, and here I am, I'm starving to death. I will set out and go back to my father and say to him, Father, I have sinned against heaven and against you. I am no longer worthy to be called your son. Make me like one of your hired men. So he got up So, they began to celebrate. So, for four weeks now, we've been looking at this, what we call the parable of the prodigal son, named after the younger son who goes off into the distant country and and wastes all his money and then returns home. Or sometimes, you hear the parable called the parable of the two sons. You know, both of these titles, I think, are really not the best title for this parable. I say this because this parable is not really about these two sons. The story is primarily about the father. The father is the primary character in this parable. The sons are simply there to help us see the nature of the father, or the nature of God. I think there's a better par- uh, title for this parable and it might surprise you a bit it should be the parable of the prodigal god or the parable of the par- the parable the parable of the prodigal father you know sometimes people don't know the definition of prodigal uh, for years when i first became a christian i thought oh it just means somebody who left and then comes back it's not it it, it means Wasteful, extravagant, giving exceedingly abundant, profuse, lavish, just unrestrained in uh, spending. I heard one person say, you know, this, this younger son is like a sailor on leave, you know, just spending money like crazy. So given this definition of prodigal, does it make sense to you that I say this should be called the parable of the prodigal God. It's a perfect, perfect title. You see, the younger son, oh, no doubt, <laughs> he was prodigal in his spending, in his squandering of his father's money. And even his life, he squandered it away. But he looks like a penny pincher. Really, compared to the excessive love, the extravagant forgiveness, kind of the unrestrained joy of the father when the son comes home. The father's redeeming prodigality completely overshadows the lost prodigality of both sons, really. This unimaginable grace This really, I think for us, hard to understand abounding love of the Father is what Jesus is really trying to communicate to us and to the people of the time in this parable. Now, remember, who's he telling this parable to? Who's he directing it to? Jesus is really addressing it to the religious leaders, The Pharisees, who, by the way, were all men. (laughs) Because he is eating, Jesus is, eating and socializing with the sinners and the outcasts, the spiritual zeros, the people who have really been pushed, ostracized from society because they don't follow the religious law. And some of them couldn't do it because of economic reasons so they think those people are totally outside the limits of God's love and they cannot believe that Jesus is having a meal with them socializing with them reaching out to them and loving them you see in in, in the Middle East when you have a meal with someone you're really saying "I, I accept you I want to be in relationship with you. It's a big deal. So these religious people, oh my gosh, it's just beyond their comprehension that Jesus is having a meal and socializing and loving these people. Really what they're saying, and this is why Jesus tells the parable, and he's really trying to get them to understand the true nature of God And the true nature of God's love the primary message of the parable. And what he's saying about God's love is there are no limits to God's love. You know, I think the religious leaders, the Pharisees, they saw God's love like a, a, a circle, a pie, that had a limited number of pieces. And those pieces were only reserved for the good, moral, upright people who didn't make mistakes like them. (laughs) You see, the problem with these guys in the elder son is they don't see their need for forgiveness and for grace. That's really the big deal. They think they're doing just fine on their own. They don't need a savior. But what Jesus is saying in this parable is, you all need a Savior. You're all lost. And my love is unlimited. It's a big pie. You know, I think back to a time I was leading a backpacking trip in Yosemite with some high school students. And the second night into the backcountry, we were well into it, uh, a bear got into our food and stole over half our food. And we had three days left. So we had to make a decision, right? Do we go back and eat (laughs) and have a lot of food? Or do we go on and maybe not eat as much, but have a great time backpacking? So we decided to keep going. And I remember the scene on the last day. We had 10 miles to hike out down, down the drainage of the Merced River down. You know that beautiful misty trail along the nevada and vernal falls and then down into the valley that was our hike 10 miles so quite a bit and i said all right let's all bring our food and throw it on this or on outcropping a granite outcropping of rock and man there was the food it wasn't a whole lot some gorp (laughs) some uh, tang hot chocolate a little bit of oatmeal a few granola bars now, you got to know, this was my youth group. So we're Christians, right? We're, we're trying to like, put the needs of other people ahead of our own and be unselfish and you know all those things. And so we're kind of looking at the food and looking at each other. There were 20 of us, including a 250-pound football player. And we just kind of thought, wow, this is a limited amount of food. God's love. It's not limited. There's no limit. And it's, it's unconditional. And a very sad fact is that many people never really le- realize this in their lives. They, it, it, really, it's hard for us to comprehend, isn't it? This completely unconditional love of God. It's not based on any conditions. God just loves us and God wants more than anything else and when I say this parable gets to the heart of the message of Christianity this is it God has unlimited mercy and compassion and, and love for us the supply is never exhausted this is what Jesus is communicating in this parable what i want to do this morning for the remainder is just walk with the younger son as he finally comes to his senses and begins what i would think was a long walk home right and i want to point out the details you know jesus the storyteller master storyteller he gives all kinds of details In this parable to convey to communicate just how lavish just how over-the-top unrestrained is this love that God has for all of us so let's pray and then we'll walk with this younger son God I pray that you would through your Holy Spirit Speak to each one of us this morning. Lord, we confess that this love is hard for us to understand, and yet, when we grasp it, its transforming power can change our lives and give us new life. So speak to us. May this message Go deep into our hearts and our minds. In Christ's name, amen. So, I want to go back a little bit to this request that the son has of his father. Father, I can't wait until you're dead. So, give me the inheritance right now. So I can get out of here, man. This farm is too small for me. It's too constraining. I need to go. So right off the bat, we see this, this unrestrained love of God. Do you see it here? The Father allows him to go. He gives him freedom to go. You know, freedom to allow somebody to do something that, that may you know may hurt you and may hurt that other person is, you know, a type of love. We have to... Freely give love, right? Or else it's not love. And so the father is generous in his freedom to do, let his son do what he wants. And you know, I think I said this last week, but this would have never happened in this time. Middle Eastern scholars say they, they have never heard of a, a, a son asking the father for his inheritance to go off. No father would allow his son to talk to him like this. Just wouldn't happen. It was out of the question that a father would allow his son to take his share of the inheritance and leave. As the people listening to this story at the time, this would seem unfathomable. No father would be this patient, this gracious to a son like this But he gives him the freedom. And we all know the story. This this son goes off into the distant country. And there he squanders his inheritance and wild living. And finally he comes to the end of his rope. And friends, let me tell you, he's at the end of his rope. I love Rembrandt's portrayal of the son when he comes back to the father and kneels. Oh, you can tell he's broken, barefooted, emaciated. You know, head-shaven. He's broken. He's humbled. Probably lonely. Confused. At the end of his rope, and he comes to his senses, it tells us, and he decides to go home. Now, he knows that tradition, the mores of the time would dictate that, that he would be punished upon his return, that he might even be cut off from the life of the village. You see, he, he not only insulted his father, he insulted the entire village. And as he walks, he must be thinking in his mind, oh, this is not going to be good. I could be physically harmed for doing what I did. And so he goes over his speech in his mind. Can you just see it? him thinking over his speech? Okay, I'm going to say this, I'm going to say this. Father, I have sinned against heaven and against you. I am no longer to be worthy to be called your son. He's lost his identity. Make me like one of your hired men, thinking he can earn his way back in. So as he approaches the farm, you know what? He is probably filled with emotion, with fear and anxiety and sorrow and regret not really knowing what's going to happen you know a couple i think last week i said the saddest one of the saddest pictures in the bible is this older son you know arms crossed refusing to go into the party sad picture well this folks i ain't hard to imagine a more beautiful picture what we're about to see in the entire Bible. This beautiful picture of the son and the father welcoming him. So as the son gets to the driveway and starts going up the long driveway to the farm, he sees a figure running toward him. At first he can't tell who it is, but then he sees the graying beard and the the flowing robes And here we see the extravagant, reckless love of God. You know, another little detail here. Noblemen, which this father was, in the Middle East, they never run. They never pick up their robes, show their legs, and run. It was a violation of dignity. Something that that noblemen just didn't do. Aristotle once said, you know, great men never run in public. Which tells us a little bit about Bill Clinton and how he used to jog, remember that, to McDonald's? (laughs) Kings don't run. Noblemen don't run. Presidents don't run. They have that presidential stroll, maybe. But no, people run to dignitaries. But here is this waiting father who I believe has been waiting and scouring the distance, waiting for his son to come home, so overjoyed, so overjoyed with the, the vision of his son coming home, this lost son, his heart so full of love that he breaks out in a rut, run, pulls up his robes, throws dignity and tradition to the wind so that he can welcome his son home as quickly as possible. Beautiful picture of God. Boy, one theological point here. You know, God runs to us. We don't find God. God finds us, just like in the parable of the lost sheep and the lost coin. God searches for us. And he's just waiting for that little turn home, and he runs out to meet his son. Wow, this is prodigal love. While his son was still a long way off, his father saw him and was filled with compassion, understanding for him. He ran to his son, threw his arms around him, envelops him. I love Susie's. Portrayal of this. You see how she made those arms real big and just circle in the hands? He's holding this son, who I imagine is just exhausted. And what does he do? He kisses him and hugs him. Now, you got to know, in the original Greek, in the Old Testament, the verb form for kiss here, or kisses, is not... One little peck on the cheek. It is over and over and over and over. Do you get it? Smothers him. And kisses. Over and over and over. Not once or twice, but tears of joy streaming down his face. This is the picture of the prodigal God. Words really fail to describe this love but here's a picture for us. And if you have a hard time imagining God's love, I would say just sit and meditate on this and imagine yourself being embraced like this by God. This is the heart of God. This is what God is like Jesus says, This is the main point of the story. God loves you and even me <laughs> with this boundless, limitless, over the top love. Now remember this picture and know that wherever you have been, And whatever you have done, and whoever you have been, no matter how many times you've gone to that distant country and snubbed your nose at God, this is what's so amazing, the humility of God, to welcome us home like this. God runs to you, throws his arms around you, and smothers you in kisses. This, Jesus says, is what God is like. And all the ways that Jesus could describe God, this is it. So this son begins his little speech. <laughs> Did you know that it is, notice that his speech here is shorter than one he had rehearsed there's no mention of becoming a hired servant it is simply i am no longer worthy to be called your son i've thought about this for years i thought that the father in his joy and in his excitement and seeing his son simply interrupted him didn't allow him to finish but maybe there's a different possibility here maybe the son realizes that there's nothing he can do to earn this kind of love. And so he just stops. And maybe he realizes that if there's any way he can go back to the farm, it's because of grace. Just sheer grace. You see, I think in some ways, there's still a little bit of the older son in this younger son, he thought he could do something to earn his way back to the farm. And really, in many ways, this is the gospel in miniature. When we come to the Father, there must be no thought that we can earn it. There must be no hint of bookkeeping. Any trace of us earning our ways into the kingdom of God, we must simply come and say, Father, I am not worthy to be called your son or daughter. Just accept the grace of God. And maybe he sees the heart of the Father for the first time And he realizes this prodigal love that the father has for him. And he just wants to be held. And it doesn't stop there. The prodigal God isn't done yet. It's almost as if this love is just cascading over and over and over again down upon his son. Get the best robe and put it on him. Uh, Put a ring on his fingers and sandals on his feet. Now, never in his wildest dreams did he expect this. He expected punishment or banishment. At the very least, a very restrained homecoming with a stern lecture, right? Or maybe, you know, I need to (laughs) come back. But none of that. What's important with these three little details is his father is restoring him to full sonship was giving him symbols of honor. So he has his servants put on the finest robe, maybe his robe. a Sign of royalty, a ring on his finger, a a sign of respect and affection, and sandals on his feet, a sign of a free man, not a slave. You see, the father wants to make it clear, unmistakably clear to everyone who is hearing the story that his son has been fully forgiven, fully restored. He is his beloved son. And then as one last sign of the extravagance of God, the father says, bring out the fattened calf. This is the greatest party that this father will ever throw because you just don't eat the fattened calf very very often. Bring out the fattened calf. Let's kill it. Set up the barbecue, the Weber. And let's party till midnight. Because this son of mine who was lost is found. This son who was dead is alive. Tiki torches, the best band, wine, great food, a great celebration. This is the heart of God. Amen. God, we thank you for this amazing parable. We thank you for your great love for us that, uh, again, we admit sometimes it's just hard to imagine. Nowhere else do we experience a love like this that's unconditional, always forgives, quick to forgive, always restores, always redeems. a love that wants us to move forward and to give us life, and life abundant. God, I pray that somehow uh, we could grasp this love, that even as an act of grace, that you would give us this gift to understand and to take in this news that is the greatest news that we could ever hear.